Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the 2021 to my 2022. It's just in Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how are you? Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Yeah, I'm very good, thank you. I'm a bit sad though. Why? Because uh, this is the last day of, of the Christmas and New Year holidays. It's back to the grind tomorrow. Back to the grind? Well, yeah. do, do you not love your normal employment? I do, but I also love doing nothing all day. So, I, I yeah. don't. I've been so confused about what day it is, first of all. But then, I, when I found out it was Bank Holiday Monday, because I wasn't completely aware, I was like, well, I've got another day to do absolutely nothing. Plus, nothing's open either. So, That's I was true. a bit lost, yeah. really. Were you not? No, I've been on a dog walk. I've welcomed a new fridge into my house. That's made me very happy. But yeah, it's just back to being busy again, and I don't like it. Fair enough then. Well, Justin, first episode of the new year, coming out on a Tuesday. What's happened to us? This isn't us releasing episodes on Tuesdays. It's weird, isn't it? It's weird. And it's also because we were obviously recording straight after the games. It's uh, it's all a bit rushed. It's all a bit strange on a Tuesday, yeah. We were going to release this on Monday, but obviously there was the Bournemouth game that came out. That was going to be late on Monday night, wasn't it? But Mm -hmm. that got postponed because of COVID and it meant that we didn't actually have to release it on Tuesday. So it's all a bit up in the air, really. I mean, everyone's talking about player welfare and what have you with games being postponed. What about us? What about the podcasters of the championship? No one's talking about us. We need it. We need to formalise a union. That's what we need to do. Yes, us and the other football podcasters of the world and really sort this out, really put our fist down and say, right, this needs to happen now. Anyway, welcome to the number one championship specific podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. We've got seven games for us to chat about from the New Year's round of games. We'll talk about some of the news from the past few days. Of course, the transfer window is open now. Plenty of business has happened already. We'll go through all the bits that have happened so far and some of the bits that look like they're about to happen. And then we'll finish off with Scott High or Ryan Lowe. Right at the end. We'll kick things off, Justin, with West Brom Cardiff. There were three men sent off in this game. It finished one all. It all seemed to kick off at the end of the game when West Brom were denied a penalty and following Ishmael decided to march onto the pitch for some reason. Then Sam Johnston and Aidan Flint began having a little bit of argy-bargy as well, which led to them both being sent off. All in all, Justin, it was quite funny, really, wasn't it? Yeah, and it was probably... um... The, the biggest highlight of the game because in terms of the two sides um, creating and, and, and being exciting it wasn't really one of those one of those fixtures but as you say the the decisions that were made um, throughout the game were, were probably the most yeah interesting and um, the biggest talking points uh, absolutely and I think at the end of the game not sure what Ishmael's doing marching marching onto the pitch the way he did I'm surprised he wasn't one of the ones sent off or given a red mm-hmm. card because I thought he basically incited a riot. That's what it felt like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're not completely wrong, to be honest. Um, obviously, he was outraged because of the penalty that was denied. He said after afterwards it was a clear penalty. Does Justin Peach agree? I don't agree. I don't think it was a clear penalty. I think if that's given against my team, I think that's really soft. I think as a neutral, I'm saying it's very soft. As a home fan, I'm, I'm, I'm annoyed it's not been given. But at the end of the day, if you look at the goal that West Brom scored, for example... Callum Robinson was about two yards offside. It was one of the most clear offsides you'll see on a still image that isn't the best angle. He's very offside. 
and it, it felt like it evened itself out. I don't think West Brom deserved the win. I'm not saying that's a justification to not given the penalty, but if if it was given, it would have been a very soft one. Yeah, well, Stephen Morrison even said he thought it was a clear penalty afterwards. So wow. are you 100% sure you didn't think it was a penalty? Yeah, I still think it'd be a very soft penalty. Um, I really do. I think I think we've we've seen more clear-cut penalties this this, this game week um, than that one. I, I really do think it was soft. Uh, it would have been soft. Fair enough. Well, West Brom were probably the better side, but they weren't overwhelmingly the better side, were they? They've had plenty of games recently where they created hatfuls of chances and were, mm. you know, by clear margins, the better side. But this wasn't one of them, was it? And no. we've said in the past that there have been plenty of games where a certain American striker, who may have very well signed for the club anymore, um, where he would have changed everything. But this was one of those games where I don't think he maybe would have changed anything apart from obviously adding physicality up front. But in terms of clear-cut chances, Cardiff did a fairly good job, really, of you know limiting West Brom to not very much. And as you say, the goal that West Brom scored came from a decision which was fairly questionable in itself. But overall, good point for Cardiff, wasn't it? It is, it is a good point. And considering they took the lead as well, I think the frustrating thing is they couldn't build it. And I think the other frustrating thing I have about this, this Cardiff side is, is can they sustain being creative consistently without relying on set pieces for example the um the corner they scored from came from a long throw and i think that's the only criticism i could have about from cardiff but then again you're going away to the hawthorns uh, against a very good team in west brom you're going to take anything you can get if they can do more in, in, in other games and that's great but they have had a disrupted uh, christmas period as well um but yeah very good performance very organised, disciplined performance from from Cardiff because they did something that not a lot of teams can do and they nullified West Brom. West Brom are very wasteful. They create a lot of chances, but they didn't in this game. Yeah, absolutely. Derby came from two goals down to draw 2-2 away at Reading. The scenes again, Justin, and also what a header as well by Curtis Davis. That was an absolute boomer, wasn't it? It was, and I sent you a message straight after saying it's an absolute disgrace that headers aren't considered as goal of the seasons because I've seen a couple now where I'm thinking that's better than just hitting it from 25 yards, 30 yards. That's better than a free kick because the technique on headers deserves a lot more credit, I I feel. And it was an absolute booming header, as you say, a thumping header, beautiful header. And um, it's a shame the three points wasn't there for Derby because they, they did deserve it. But at the same time, they defended both of the Reading goals really poorly. So did they deserve it? Yes, no, questionable. Of interest, what do you think has been the goal of the season for headers? I, I think that Danny Ward one from last week takes some beating. Well, that's that's really what has sort of pushed my um, my agenda for for getting headers considered in the goal of the season. Kiefer Moore's against Blackpool was was beautiful, where Ryan Giles just hung the ball up, mm. lovely, um, and then he obviously he put a nice header into the corner. Yeah, these three stick out. The Danny Ward one, as you say, was lovely. And this one, again, beautiful. Yeah, really good header, especially in the dying moments of the game. Exactly. As well. What did you think of the uh, game as a whole, Peachy? It was it was an interesting game, given that Reading had a clear game plan in terms of getting the ball up to Andy Carroll. Um, and I mean, fair play. A lot of people will criticise that sort of style of play, but they've got to play to their strengths at that point. They're missing Ajaria, they're missing Lucas Schau, they're missing Mete, they're missing three players there that probably turn this Reading team into a mid-table side um, and I thought they did it well at, at, in parts but I think given the lack of games they've had they they faded towards the end which allowed Derby into it I thought Derby were quite wasteful but at the same time they were very good in possession they created a good number of chances 
just lacked cutting edge in this game that they had in in midweek against Stoke, but they fought back in the end. Yeah, I think you're pretty much spot on. The Derby fans have been singing, we'll fight to the end, and the players <laughs> certainly are, aren't they? Just not across the whole season, but in games like this as well. I thought Max Bird played really well in this mm. game. And in general, he's just class, isn't he? I, I wouldn't be surprised if there are Premier League clubs having a look at him because he is only 21. We all know the situation at Derby where other clubs are probably looking at it thinking they could probably get these players for a lot cheaper than they usually get them in normal circumstances. But also considering he is 21, you don't get many young midfielders who do the job he does as well as he does, do you? Because mm. passing the ball, winning it back, is quality, isn't he? Yeah, it's a role you've got to play with a lot of maturity because of the eyes you've got to have on the pitch. You look at, I mean, the the, the, the chief master of that role is, is Andre Perlo, isn't it? Where he's very good at recycling possession. And he didn't really get really good at it until he was about 30 years old. I'm not saying Max Bird's anywhere near Andre Perlo's um, ability, but at the same time, what I'm trying to say is, we're trying to emphasise the role that he's playing and, and the responsibility he has in that team. And as for, for a 21-year-old, it's massive. And this is really becoming a, a breakout season for, for Max Bird now. I'm just going to jot that down. The Burton Perlo, Max Bird. The Burton Perlo. There you go. Um, Reading are one of those teams, aren't they, that Derby are ultimately hoping they will continue to struggle across the course of the season, which is why a win here for Reading would have been a massive result, wouldn't it? But by and large, I think a loss would have been a harsh result for Derby. And in the end, they got their just just desserts, didn't they? Um, I think Reading have certainly got to get some Ws, haven't they, on the boards? Mm -hmm. Because it's only two wins from... 11 games now and that's the kind of form that will continue to see them linger just above the relegation zone and if any of those teams in the bottom three pull out their fingers over the next few weeks then Reading could be uh, looking over their shoulder a bit more than they already are couldn't they? Yes yeah, it's, it's, it's quite a nervy time for Reading I think it's made worse the fact that they've got this transfer embargo and they can't really add to the squad which is something that they really need to do Um even if they've got to sell a couple of players to, to bring some in, I think that might be a better option for Reading because we saw, I know that I mentioned match fitness and not playing a lot of games over Christmas period, impacting them towards the end of the game. But at the same time, you could see that they were struggling for, for personnel. They've had a lot of injuries this year, which is, with this season, sorry, which has been so, so, so unlucky. Um, because as I said, you put Ajari, Ajao and, and Mete in that side, they become a mid-table team for me. Um, they're a team that have got to pull the things out. I've seen a lot of fans maybe leaning towards Panovic out. It's understandable, but at the same time, he's doing this job with his hands and legs and everything tied up behind him. Um, so it's really hard to judge him on that. But at the same time, could another manager get the best out of this team? Maybe. Well, we're hopefully going to be seeing Lucas Zhao back in the side soon, aren't they? And if that happens, then it, they could be a different side because he was unbelievable last season once he and gave them so much more, not just in terms of goal scoring, but in terms of how they play as well, isn't he? So hopefully that'll be a big boost when he does come back, which, as I say, should be soon. A Chris Willock wonder goal helped QPR to a 2-1 win away at Birmingham. Justin, talk me through the beauty of this one, will you? Before we get on to Chris Willock, I just... Because Chris Willick's going to take up a lot of this segment. I know he is because you are a Chris Willick super fan. I want to point out QPR's performance was very, very good. It was a very, very good performance from QPR. Um, and now we can talk about Chris Willick being Chris Willick. It was a beautiful goal from Chris Willick. 
he took on three players just with a dummy very naive defending from the Birmingham players in question but at the same time it was beautiful majestic it was like a, a seahorse gliding through crystal clear water it was fantastic um, and then the finish from the angle was was really good as well it was um, it was just it was just typical Chris Willick and I'm absolutely delighted that um, he's really come he's really come of age this season I mean, the goal was almost as good as that was similar. I um, the, the most beautiful thing about this goal for me is when Willock is on the ball, when he gets the ball initially, there is no danger at all, is there? It looks no. like, you know, Birmingham have contained them very well and then suddenly Willock just bursts into life. How he's scoring from that angle, not too sure. Um, should he have been able to get to that position? Not too sure. I, I've started to come around to the idea that solo goals, you can always pick holes in defending. So I don't mm-hmm. think you should take anything away from the actual goal itself if the defending isn't particularly great. But this was a spectacular goal. If it wasn't for a certain goal in a certain game in Staffordshire, then it would have been goal of the game week. But uh, this mm-hmm. was still a beautiful goal in its own right. Um, you were saying QPR played well I, I don't wasn't sure they particularly did to be quite honest Justin I I think it was one of those games where you know they've just got three points on the board again and you can't really take anything away from that in that in that respect but it's another three points that takes them into the playoffs got a game in hand too on most of the teams in there it's a gentle reminder that they are a force to be reckoned with aren't they despite other teams making their bids known for the top six in recent weeks no, they are. No, okay, the, the performance might be debatable. I thought this was a much better performance than than in midweek, for example. Where I thought they nullified Birmingham City really well, which was which was really good to see because Birmingham have good attacking players. They have a physical um, ability up front, and and QPR managed that. And even when Birmingham City scored, I still thought QPR were in no danger of uh, of, of letting the game go. Um, and that and that is with a disrupted Christmas period. That is with Elias Chair going to. Um, AFCON so they're in a position in January where they're probably weaker than they were last month um, so for that reason I think it's a good performance and then for that reason as well like you say they are they are going to be a force to be reckoned with we had some doubts over them um, because of the amount of games that they they missed uh, or, or games that were postponed but they've they've sort of pushed those doubts aside and they're really starting to come into their own now yeah definitely I think you can also I think it would also be fair for people to have concerns considering they are going to be missing Elias Chair for the next few weeks, who is obviously one of, or if not their best player. Um, but it has meant they had to change the system and the system looked quite good here. It meant Chris Willock just sat a bit deeper. They had, you know, the two um, strikers playing instead in terms of uh, Dykes, which is great news to see him back in the side, by the way. Um, and Andre Gray playing up front as well. I think they could possibly do with another striker in January, not just to suit this new formation that they're playing without chair, but also for the long term as well, because Austin and Gray, neither of them are particularly worked this season, despite that mm-hmm. obvious wonder goal that Gray scored against Derby. Um, so I'd like to see another forward come in. I think another left wing back would also be helpful. But they get that right. QPR could be laughing. And uh, I mean, there are plenty of teams looking at the playoffs right now thinking they've got a great chance, haven't they? And uh, QPR are certainly one of those teams. One win in eight for Birmingham. Lee Bowyer's side certainly struggling at the moment, aren't they? We'll get onto them a bit later on, Justin, because things could be getting worse for them. More on that in the news. Stoke 1, Preston 2. The highlight of this game was... 
a goal of the season contender from Ben Wilmot. I mean, I say goal of the season contender. I think we may be talking about the goal of the season. 35 yards out, just has a crack, flies in. I know we've had a few debates over goal of the season contenders recently, Justin, but surely this has got to be up there, hasn't it? It's, it's got to be, but does that fall into that category where I start to question it um, as as opposed to someone just putting their foot through the ball and hoping for the best? Or is it like a controlled strike from a player who knows what he's doing? Where does it fall on that spectrum? I, the, this debate frustrates me so much. <laughs> I, when you're talking about goals from 35 yards out that are this beautiful and you're just saying, oh, he's just put his foot through it. It's, get out of it yeah, it doesn't make yeah. any sense to me Justin this was a beautiful beautiful strike and I mean I watched the highlights afterwards and wasn't aware this goal was coming so when I actually saw it I was like what the hell it was just uh, it was spectacular it was a really really good goal and uh, it's a shame really that it led to obviously not them getting the three points but kind of takes away the glimmer of the goal doesn't it mm-hmm. but still an unbelievable strike um, the most incredible thing is Stoke had plenty of other chances in this game that were from a lot nearer but didn't take any of them and really it's amazing that Preston came out of this game with anything let alone all three points yeah it was, it was a really strange game and it, it, I mean a misfiring Stoke you've got to question what, uh, what what was going on really I mean only two shots on target but the amount of chances they had they had six shots blocked six off, uh, six shots off target as well were they getting into the into good positions to to get clear shots off? You know, there's question marks there. You can tell there's there's a massive dip in form in, in individuals at the moment, which is is come at a bad time for Stoke, obviously with the the postponements and and um, and players getting injured. They're badly in need of, of of bringing a couple of players in, probably more, probably four or five players, to not only beef up the squad but also convince supporters and pundits alike that they are contenders for the top six because that's the difference between them and top six at the moment for me that is they're four or five players short well I've seen plenty of Stoke fans and this has completely shocked me saying Michael O'Neill out Justin can you understand that at all I I do because this is probably the best squad Stoke have had um, in the championship probably since Tony Pulis took them up Uh, I know they've been in the Premier League, but you look at the money that Gary Rowett threw it, you look at the recruitment under Nathan Jones, this is the best squad, most complete squad that they've had and they're still failing. Um, It is a good enough squad for me um, to at least be punching a lot higher. I know that they're not too far away from the playoffs, but the the performances have dropped massively without key players um, and that level of that, that that drop in performance has concerned me a lot as to whether or not Michael O'Neill can get the best out of him so I understand it I don't think it's the right thing to do at this point because as I say they need to add uh, to their squad but you can see where some supporters are coming from I can understand why they're annoyed about certain tactics persisting with three at the back doesn't really make much sense to me considering yeah. they don't have the personnel to play at three at the back I can understand why Stoke fans are frustrated about that whether that warrants Michael O'Neill getting the sack, I think, is extremely harsh. Because you look at the table now, Stoke, just outside of the playoffs. And it wouldn't be surprised me if ultimately that's where they end up. Because I think there are teams who have better squads than Stoke. I think Stoke have a good squad, good enough to get in the top six. But when you lose certain players, certain key players, like they have done at multiple different areas of the season... I think it would have been a mighty achievement for Michael O'Neill to actually get this Stoke side into 
the top six. Mm-hmm. They could very easily recruit well in January and get in three or four bodies and then everything could change. But when you lose players as influential as Tyrese Campbell for the majority of the first half of the season, Harry Suter for pretty much the whole season and Nick Powell for numerous months as well, I think Michael O'Neill has you know, really taken a couple of hammer blows mm-hmm. um, so far this season. And that's why I think... For me, it would be a surprise if Stoke did get into the top six. Um, as I say, could all change. And I think ultimately the headline is I'll be, it would be very, very harsh for Michael O'Neill to be sacked um, because of the number of blows that he's been dealt thus far. But talking about one manager under pressure, Ryan Lowe at Preston. And Preston fans seem to love him. Yeah, you can see an improvement in, in style of play instantly. They, click, they completed more passes. Um, in this game than Stoke and obviously Stoke have quite a lot of technicians so you wouldn't typically associate the, the different different styles of play this season especially um, and also their character instilled in the team going going uh, going 1-0 down to that sort of goal can can knock a real well, the wind out of your sails is, is the saying isn't it? it it can be a real blow um, and a massive shock but they rallied they they kept going and they scored two really good goals Brad Potts goal for example was, was brilliant he looks a different player right wing back obviously very small sample size at the moment to, to judge him on, but he's a player that gets a lot of stick from Preston fans and he's looking very, very uh, useful and his goal was absolutely beautiful. Almost, almost as good as the Wilmot goal. Um, the way he caught it on the scissor kick is very nice. Um, and yeah, there's clear there's a clear identity there with Preston, which has been the massive, massive improvement. Still need a couple of players, I think, to, to really start to show what Ryan Lowe's team's about, but this is a big win for them. Absolutely. Justin, let's have a quick break. After that, we'll talk about a win for Bristol City and a win for Blackpool. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. Bristol City went a goal ahead against Millwall before the Lions came back to be winning 2-1 and then Bristol City came back to be winning 3-2 in a crazy game at Ashton Gate. Justin, what did you think of this one? Yeah, pretty pretty wild game. Um, I honestly thought after uh, Bristol City took the lead and then Millwall equalised and then went ahead, I thought that'd be the, the, the game done. Mainly because Bristol City have got an unhealthy habit this season of, of letting leads slip and, and throwing games away, but they didn't allow that to happen. They beat uh, a relatively um, experienced Millwall side, considering that Bristol City had seven academy grads in their squad. It's a massive, massive win and a, um, one that um, well, certainly puts uh, the rod up, rod up my back. I think, again, as a saying, coming out with a lot of saying today, new year, new me and all that. Mainly because I'm surprised at the character that they showed because, as I say, that they, they have a habit of crumbling. Um, so I'm really, really impressed with Bristol City and getting back against this tough Millwall side. Yeah, you say Bristol City letting go of Leeds, don't let them walk your dog because uh, that's certainly been uh, a bit of a bad habit for them this season. And if I haven't got a hat-trick, Justin, and he's actually having quite a good season, isn't he? I, I was worried mm. about who was going to score goals for them at the start of the season, but he is more than doing it, isn't he? He's a, he is a goal scorer, or, or has been while he's been at Bristol City. I think he's hit double figures in uh, at least two of his seasons now. I know one was injury hit when he did his ACL, but he's a good good player very very good player and the goals that he scored were, were pretty much all poachers efforts um you look at the first one he's 
he's in the right area, instinctively hits the ball back over Bierkowski when the ball's cleared to him. And then the second one was beautiful, that death finish. And the third one, right place, right time. And he's, he's got that instinct to, to be in the right place. Um, and that helps the younger players like Semenya, who has been brilliant, by the way, um, helps players like him out because it shows those sorts of players what they need to do to, to get amongst the goals. Mm. Well, we all know what Vyman's about and he's full of industry runs his socks off all game. In the past, you could easily say he's lacked that goal-scoring touch. I think I've seen plenty of times when he's scuffed chances because of a lack mm. of composure. But now at Bristol City, because he's been given you know more of an impetus to be that goal-scorer, to be the main goal-scorer there, um, it seems to be you know working wonders for him. And maybe he is down to a confidence kind of thing. Maybe he is a confidence kind of player. And now he is full of confidence. And... He's been scoring goals for fun. I think in the vast majority of goals he's scored, it's been multiple it's multiple goals in a single game, if you see what I mean. Braces, um, pretty much, yeah. Yeah, braces, hat-tricks in some cases, like we saw against Millwall. Um, but yeah, as long as he keeps developing as a player, then he'll prove to be crucial for Bristol City because he's a Nigel Pearson kind of player as well, isn't he? And if he's mm-hmm. going to be the long-term man at Ashton Gates, then... Is going to be so important for them, but also because, as I say, Bristol City have lacked a goal scorer um, in recent times, and he's certainly filling that void. And long may it continue. Um, Millwall are doing a fantastic job, aren't they, of just being Millwall, so painfully inconsistent. We know what they're capable of, but it just doesn't happen enough on a regular basis. And I think that's one of the main reasons, amongst many, why I can't see them ever being a top six side in the near future, just because they're so inconsistent yeah they just they just hover around the top six which as you say the inconsistency is the reason why they're not going to break into the top six I don't think they'll be able to do it this season I think you look at the the performance against Coventry midweek it was a gritty disciplined performance where they they nicked the win Um, they didn't show any of those elements against Bristol City because they allowed them um, to get back into the game I said I mentioned that it was an an experienced side Um, Pearson, Nigel Pearson made a couple of changes at half time and, and Millwall couldn't well they didn't adapt to, to those changes and they struggled from what well, especially in the second half. Um, and that's really frustrating and you, you expect a lot better from a Millwall side containing some really good senior pros with a lot of games under their belt. There was a meeting between two of the informed teams in the championship, Blackburn and Huddersfield. They drew nil nil. Would you say a great result for Huddersfield, but a missed chance for Blackburn, Justin? I think it's a good result, a great result for Huddersfield and a fairly decent result for Rovers. I think they're not going to win every game. I think it's unrealistic to to expect that. Um, And the the winning run had to come to an end at some point. And they've come up against an informed Huddersfield side who showed um, in midweek, in the last game week, that they they can show different sides to their game. And they did that here. They nullified Blackburn really well, kept, kept key players quiet. Really good performance from Huddersfield. Slightly under par performance from Rovers but at the same time weren't helped by conditions hmm. well, they, they didn't create much at all it's got to be said in fact the best chance fell to drain homes in truth for Huddersfield hmm. but uh, not many chances in general for either sides to be completely honest if anything I'd say it's a testament really to the progress Huddersfield have made under yeah. Carlos Corbrand this season isn't it we keep talking about how well um, they've been defensively considering they were a sieve last season but this is the kind of game that really shows how much progress they've made because Blackburn, you know, have been scoring goals for fun recently, haven't they? And this was one time when they just barely created anything. 
yeah, that's that's what I was saying. Huddersfield were, were fantastic, and they and they kept Blackburn quiet. Some key players quiet. They sat um, quite deep at times. Blackburn are very good at exploiting space in behind. Obviously, I mentioned conditions didn't help, and they and they didn't. But at the same time, the organisation and discipline that the Huddersfield team showed to to work as hard as a Rover side. Um, yeah, as you say, is, is a testament to to Corbrand and their progress this season. They kept ten clean sheets this season. Um, you know, last season they were absolute mess. They were a head case of a defensive side. This season, a lot better. Have shown times that they can be a head case, but at the same time, it's progress. And you have to think that if they manage to do this at the second half of last season, where could they be at this point now? Um, so really, it's a really good building block for Corbrand and Huddersfield. Absolutely, and I think Levi Colwell has really played a huge part mm. in that. I mean, only 18, 18 <laughs> years old, and he has been a proper, proper central half of the back for Huddersfield this season. Probably even their best player, you, you'd probably say, go as far to say he has been absolutely fantastic. And considering he is just 18, he's the kind of player who has come through the Chelsea ranks, and it wouldn't surprise me to see him eventually be in the Chelsea side. But I, I'd probably go as far to say as well, one of the most underrated performers this season um, certainly a contender for young player this season thus yeah. far as long as he continues to progress as well as he has done but the first time Blackburn have dropped points since the 20th of November it is a remarkable run it is going to be interesting how they respond when results start to turn because they inevitably will won't they at some point but the best teams just don't let him affect them and finally a Gary Medine penalty gave Blackpool a 1-0 win over Hall just second win in 11 games for Neil Critchley's side so a big three points for them Justin it was a big three points and considering um, Hall absolutely peppered them um, yeah it was a massive three points but sometimes you need that they 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 won one uh, one game in, in 10 um, so sometimes you do need the, the look to be with you and it was I think Daniel Grimshaw pulled off a, a couple of really good saves there was one worldly save with um, I can't remember who it was from now but it was it was a fantastic save and it obviously they showed a lot of fight and determination to, to see the game out and that's what you need at times just to get them back up and running I thought that was good um, some good play from from Josh Bowler who looked good who's been linked with Midway uh, as well so he's showing that it's not affecting him but yeah really good performance from Blackpool Um a good performance from Hull as well, not not to not to discredit them. Yeah, well, you mentioned the Grimshaw save. That was right at the death. That was 95th mm. minute. I don't think you're giving that enough credit, Justin. That was a uh, yeah. one hell of a bit of goalkeeping from him. Um, you mentioned Bowler there. He, he really impressed me in this game. I mean, he's a good player, isn't he? And he won the penalty. And well, would you actually go as far to say he's been Blackpool's best player? this season because we've talked about you know the likes of Lavery, Keshi Anderson, um, all these players but Bowler's probably been the one who's been most consistent hasn't he? I mean you're speaking to someone who basically has a Keshi Anderson, I love Keshi Anderson tattoo and t-shirt and and hat and all sorts Um, so it's quite hard for me to say that but at the same time Josh Bowler's ability with the ball at his feet is unreal Um, and Considering that he only signed a, a one-year deal with one, uh, with an option to extend it again, it is staggering because the the ability he's shown so far this season is fantastic. I think the only thing you can criticise of him is his numbers in terms of goals and assists. If he increases those, he becomes a multi-million-pound player very quickly um, because he's got the ability. He's clear. Uh, he's clearly got it. Yeah, well, you can see why he has been attracting interest from elsewhere, but. Blackpool have certainly given him this chance to shine, haven't they? And he's mm. certainly repaid them because um, he has been 
superb this season. He really, really has. Um, I, I go back to what I said a few weeks ago about Blackpool levelling out and I struggled to see that being any different, to be completely honest. Justin, their recent results are about mid-table form, aren't they? And I can just see them coasting along, getting the odd win here or there, but you know, dropping plenty of points in games that they maybe would have won earlier in the season. Uh, how are you feeling about Hull right now? For me, there's the obvious bottom three right now and... If any of them improve, similar to Reading, actually, Hull are in a small group of teams who I think could be under pressure if any of those teams do improve in the bottom three. Yeah, I mean, after after four straight wins, you know, they're now four without a win. They have had a disrupted Christmas period, but I think this game showed that they are lacking quality in some areas. If you look at um, some of this, uh, well, some of the chances they had. They are lacking a, a natural goal scorer. The likes of Honeyman, Keen Lewis, Potter, Ryan Longman. They're not they're not goal scorers. You know, if they are to be safe um, this season, they do need to bring in a striker because um, I think that's the thing that they can't rely on the three players that I mentioned and others to to bail them out. They need to bring in a forward who can put chances away. I think it's worth giving Grant McCann more time, but at the same time, it's January. If the takeover is completed pretty quickly, they might want to bring in their man so the new man can bring in his players for his squad, etc. All the politics that associate takeovers and and whatnot. Yeah, well, I think a lot does depend on what happens when the takeover is complete and when it's complete, actually. Of course, there is the managerial situation to sort out. Do they stick with McCann or do they bring in their own man? Who knows at the moment? I think that's completely up in the air. But I think I, I've i got a bit of a sense that the new owners will want to put a stamp on things quickly and bring in some new players. They've been linked mm. with quite a few players from abroad who I won't pretend to know too much about. But it is one to keep an eye on because if the takeover is complete in the coming week which I think I've seen is going to be the case then they could move pretty quickly and uh, be very busy in January so yeah definitely uh, one to keep an eye on with Hull right now it's time for this Yes, it's time for the news and we'll kick things off with transfer news. Most of the things we've spoken about here, Justin, uh, we've spoken about before, but they've now been confirmed. Darryl DK's move to West Brom now finalised. It's a loan deal with a view to a permanent. I think this is a move that could either completely change West Brom or make very little difference. It'll be very interesting to see because I think uh, if there's one move in particular in January that's going to, uh, you know, cause one or the other it's definitely going to be that one Middlesbrough have now loaned in Brighton forward Aaron Connolly Villa striker Keenan Davis has gone to Forest on loan speaking of Forest the Telegraph say they're about to sign Steve Cook on a free from Bournemouth tidy signing Justin very easy to forget he's not actually that old he's only 30 which completely blew me away yeah when you consider the likes of Curtis Davis Jagielka performing very well at Derby in there 36 and 39 you've got Carrie Cahill at Bournemouth 35 Cook's got a couple more years and he's never been blessed with pace either um, so he's not to rely on that he's a very good signing for a, uh, for Forrest on a free transfer as you say this one took me by surprise but yeah um, Dane, Mur- Dane Murphy yeah Dane Murphy doing bits um, at the top of the at the top of the hierarchy at Forrest really good really good signing yeah well, I think Forrest defensively are class anyway, aren't they? You've got mm-hmm. um, Warrell and McKenna, two centre-wilds who I rate quite highly at this level. And now you've got the added experience of Steve Cook in there. It could be a bit of a brick wall for the rest of the season. And now they brought in Davis as well at the other end. There's a lot to like about this Forest side. Steve Cooper <laughs> obviously doing a fantastic job in itself. 
um, and bringing in Cook as well, even if it's just to add depth in defence. Lot to like about Forrest. Sticking with Forrest again, the Suns say Jed Spence will be staying at Forrest after they struck a deal with Middlesbrough, which is massive news for them, isn't it, Justin? Because Jed Spence has been sensational so far. And we were speculating that Jed Spence could very well be a Chris Wilder kind of player, but they've decided no, we'll let him carry on his progress at Forrest. Yeah, I mean, I think Forrest are very, very lucky that. Um, Isaiah Jones has been brilliant at right wing back for for Borough. I think if he hadn't been as as good as he was, they probably would have recalled him. So they are lucky in that sense. But at the same time, this is huge news news for Forrest because we've seen in his absence just how lackluster Forrest can be going forwards. And that's the same on the left, the left hand side as well. They need progressive wing backs to really succeed in that formation system. And uh, Jed Spence has shown this season um, that he that he's got the ability to do it. Well, I was wondering whether Borough might just do it to just bugger up Forest because spite they, them. Well, they are, you know, rivals at the yeah, moment, aren't they? Because they are both gunning for the playoffs, both at a similar level. Um, so I'm surprised that they've just let him carry on. But maybe Spencer said that he wants to stay at Forest, and mm. Middlesbrough have said, right, we don't want to upset him, so just let him carry on. Um, the Mirror say Newcastle are preparing to bid 20 million for Ben Brereton. Diaz. I mean, Leeds have been linked with him, Brighton have been linked with him. When I was thinking of which club is he most likely to go to, I was thinking Newcastle because Newcastle are kind of in a strange kind of zone, aren't they, where they've got all this money now, but the calibre of players they can attract is, you know, probably not matching their ambitions. So they've got to look, you know, to the championship and kind of cherry pick those kind of players as well as looking for players who aren't being picked from bigger clubs, if you know what I mean, Justin. So it wouldn't surprise me if uh, Ben Barrett and Diaz did indeed go, but uh, Blackburn fans obviously shaking in their boots a little bit over his future. According to The Athletic, Man United are set to recall defender Ethan Laird from Swansea and load him out to Bournemouth instead. I don't really get this, Justin. Laird was playing really well at Swansea, playing week in, week out, and at Bournemouth... Is that really guaranteed to happen and get him regular time when, you know, Jack Stacey's there as well? Yeah, I, I tell you what, this, this really angered me and it's not to be disrespectful to, to Bournemouth fans at all. But as you say, to take um, a player who is settled, performing well in a very unique system at Swansea, um, it just seems very strange. And I was going to an environment where obviously the expectations changed massively, but this is only Laird's second full season. Um, as a uh, as a not as a pro, but as a consistent performer in senior football. Yeah. Um, so it is a it is a surprise, and obviously, as you say, they've got Adam Smith, Jack Stacey. He's got to compete uh, with them. He's not going to get a sniff on the left hand side because of the depth they've got uh, at, at left wing back or left back. Um, Bournemouth, that is. So yeah, it is a massive surprise. Shame for Swansea, but that's the reliance on loan players for you. You can't. You can't rely on them. You're better off developing your own, which is difficult as well. I will point out, save you from the Twitter uh, riots, that Smith is pretty much out for the season now. Um, so that's why they brought in Lairds. But from what I understand, uh, Bournemouth are paying Man United more in wages, more in a loan fee. But is that really best for Laird as a player? Exactly. I'd be very interested to see whether he actually wanted this move to happen or not because as I say playing week in week out at Swansea I don't see why you'd want to 
risk that and go to a club like Bournemouth where you may not be playing mm. week in, week out. Sure, it's a better standard of football in terms of the players you got around you, but it doesn't make much sense to me. No, you're right. I, I mean, I, I ran an interview um, uh, sort of end of November, December time with, with Ethan Laird saying how much he was enjoying his football at Swansea and hope that you know, he can stay there for the rest of the season, which it, yeah, it, it's, um, it's mind-boggling really, but what can you do? What can you do? Wolves are recalling Dion Sanderson on loan from Birmingham, and that is a massive blow, isn't it, Justin? That poor Birmingham, they just can't catch a break, can they? Obviously, losing Riley McGree as well. They've had injuries racking up. Taif Chong went a couple of months ago. They're having some really, really bad luck at the moment, aren't they? It is rotten luck, but that's what I was saying about relying on loan players. Um, you're at the mercy of the the parent clubs. John Sanderson has, has been fantastic um, this season, but now Birmingham City are in a, a position where they've got to go out and replace these players where they were hoping that they wouldn't have needed to. And um, as you say, Sanderson being recalled is a, is a massive, massive blow to, to Birmingham City because he's been the most consistent performer in defence for me this season for, for Birmingham City. Yeah, they have been linked with Ted and Mengi at Manchester United, who was with Derby last season on loan. Mm-hmm. And young lad, I mean, Sanderson's a bit older than him, is a bit more experienced at this level. So whether he'll be as good, not too sure. But Birmingham have got a bit of a job on, really, trying to replace some of the players that they've lost. And Lee Bowie has already said they haven't got much money to bring in um, new players. So they've got a bit of a balancing act. But if you know, these things continue to rack up, they could find themselves in a bit of a bit of a position where they're looking over their shoulder, unfortunately. Ryan Giles has been recalled from his loan spell at Cardiff and talk about how bad break that is for Birmingham before. That's really bad news for them, isn't it? Because Cardiff have been relying quite a lot on his creativity this season. Well, Giles has got nine, nine assists and we were, were criticising Cardiff earlier in the season um, for relying on him too much. A player who is essentially a, a wide a wide left player, either left wing back or, or left wing. Um, but he's, he's come up with the goods consistently um, this season. I mean, it's, it's not necessarily a massive surprise to see him record because he's probably a player who is in a position where he can step up to, to Wolves' first team. And add something there, um, but at the same time, the position Cardiff are in in the table, similar to Birmingham, probably obviously a little bit worse um, squad-wise as well. In a, in, a, in a worse state, it is yeah, you've got to worry a little bit for Cardiff if they can't find a replacement for him. Yeah, I'm really, really concerned for Cardiff now because creativity has been their main issue mm-hmm. all season, hasn't it? Going forwards, defensively, they've been a bit of a shambles at the back at times, but creativity has been the number one concern for them and that's something that they really had to remedy in January losing Ryan Giles has set them back a couple of steps hasn't it so yeah really really bad news for them because now you're looking at who's going to be the creative spark for them obviously they've got Ruben Cowell but can you really place that much pressure on someone who is a teenager you've got the likes of Isaac Davis another young lad Really, really struggling to see where the creativity comes from for Cardiff now. So, yeah, starting to threat a bit for them. Ryan Wintle has been recalled from his loan spell at Blackpool by Cardiff. Um, can't say I'm surprised because, in hindsight, that seemed like a bit of a balmy decision to loan him out mm. in the first place. But not really the same player as Giles, is he? So, yeah, Cardiff certainly got to try and find a bit more creative creativity in January. 
Whether they've got room to manoeuvre to do that, I'm not too sure, because they're another club who aren't exactly, you know, splashed for cash at the moment. So, yeah, massive concerns for them. Away from transfer news, Justin, Nathan Jones has signed a new long-term contract at Luton. It will keep him at the club until 2027. Usually, I'd get a bit restless about a manager signing a five-year contract, but Nathan Jones and Luton, it's just a good fit, isn't it? Yeah, it's meant to be. It protects Luton in terms of any conversation if a big club comes for Nathan Jones again. It obviously gives them a, a long-term future um, and a long-term a long-term um, what method of planning, I guess, because they know that Nathan Jones is going to be in charge. Um, they don't have any uh, anything to worry about in that sense, and um, it's probably helpful as well try, trying to recruit players because. You're bringing players in. You know the managerial situation is going to be fine. You know, yeah, that a new player coming in is going to be worried about losing his place if a manager goes. So yeah, big big news. Probably the best transfer news that's going to come out of Luton uh, uh, this 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 window. Yeah, definitely. I think. I mean, Nathan Jones now, am I right in saying that every season that he's been at Luton, they've finished higher than they did the season before? When you've got a manager mm-hmm. who's performing that consistently over the course of that many seasons you give him anything you want don't you you tell him right here's 2020 and then you add whatever year you want on the end of that mate um and why not because he's certainly earned it anti taking Luton from yeah, yeah. League two to yes. where they are now um I think he's the kind of manager that once you've got that affinity with the club as well then you can really build something and I mean they've already started building haven't they they're you know putting the roof on the thing now um, and it's going to stand them in good said because I think with Nathan Jones at the helm Luton are the kind of club who I can see finishing in the top six and possibly even getting to the Premier League eventually I'm not going to say that's going to happen this season but could happen very well eventually um, because everything's working well they're all working towards the same goal and Nathan Jones is at the helm and he's doing a fantastic job at it as well. And finally, Blackburn forward Sam Gallagher signed a new deal at the club until 2024. Justin, it's time to play Scott High or Ryan Low. It's essentially higher or lower. I'm going to give Justin six statements. All he's got to do is guess whether that statement is Scott High or Jason Low compared to the previous number. The number you're starting on, Justin, is 40. Your first statement is this. The age of the oldest player to ever play in the championship. Is it Scott High or Ryan Low? Than forty. Uh, it's it's Scott High. I know that for a fact. Who is it? I'm sure it was Kevin Poole. He must have been about forty three or forty four when he played for Derby. It um, is Kevin yeah, Poole. Yeah, Kevin Poole, forty two. He was when he played in goal for Derby in two thousand and five. So you're off the mark. You've got one so far. Forty two is your new number. Next is the most players used by one team in a championship season. Is it Scott High or Ryan Lowe than 42? Uh, I, yeah, it's got to be Scott High. I'll also apologise for my tone in that last that last uh, answer. I thought it was quite aggressive. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, sorry. I'll say Scott High. It must be around about 50, 60 players. It is Scott High. It was 50 players. It was Blackpool. They used 50 players yeah. in the 2014-15 season, which is uh, mental, really, isn't it? You could have a new player in the starting 11 each week. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then some as well. Uh, so 50 is your new number. Next one is this. The highest attendance in thousands in championship history. Is it Scott High or Ryan Lowe than 50? Oh, Newcastle have come down and they've got a 
pretty big stadium. The only one I can think of that can get close to that is the Stadium of Light, and I know that's around about 48, 49,000. So I'm going to say, but I don't think Newcastle would have filled the ground. Um, I don't think they would have had a sellout. I'm going to say uh, Ryan Lowe. Ryan lower than 50. Yes. The highest attendance was Newcastle. 52,000 in 2016-17. Yes, so yes, that's two out of three you've got so far, which ain't a bad little score thus far. Your new number is 52. Next one is this. The cost in pounds of a Blackpool FC 70 centilitre bottle of tangerine gin. Is it Scott High or Ryan Lowe? Than fifty-two. I I enjoy a gin, and if it's if it's more than fifty-two pounds, I'd. Oh my god, no, it can't be. It's got to be Ryan Low. How much would you pay for a seventy-centiliter bottle of gin? Uh, I'd go up to about thirty-five quid. Okay, even if it's Blackpool themed tangerine gin as well. I. It wouldn't sway me to pay more than thirty-five pounds. I could get, I could get a replica shirt for that. It's Ryan Lowe. It yeah. costs thirty-six pounds. I still wouldn't buy it then. Which it's a pound, even it's a then, pound out. Even then, is a is a bit dear, isn't it? For yeah, a bottle of gin, seventy centiliters as well. It's not a massive bottle either. But uh, uh, so you got three out of four so far. Thirty-six, your new number. Um, question is this the most money anyone has ever paid for a championship player in millions for clarity I mean someone who was playing championship football the previous season not someone who was mm. relegated and then sold Scott High or Ryan Lowe Justin from 36 uh, um, so for example uh, Ollie Watkins going to Villa it's a player mm. bought from the championship okay um, I'm going to say I'm still going to say it's Ryan Lowe I, I can't imagine a team paying more than thirty million pounds. Can't think of anyone though. It is Ryan Lowe, and Ollie Watkins was the answer. He cost okay. thirty million pounds yeah. when he went from Brentford to Villa. So you've got five, no, four out of five so far, Justin, which isn't bad at all. Your final one is this. Um, what's your final number? It's thirty. It is the age of Sam Clucas. High or Ryan Lowe? Scott High or Ryan Lowe? Than thirty. I've done a bit of reading on Sam Clucas this week because of how badly played against Derby I think he's 31 I think he's 31 so I think I'm going to go Scott High he is 31 you're absolutely yeah. right so there you go 5 out of 6 Justin not a bad score at all really yeah I'm normally yeah, bad at this yeah. one aren't I yeah yeah. You, you're usually absolutely terrible but hit yeah. the nail on the head here, so well done to you good sir um, there we go another episode of the second tier first one of the year wrapped up and done there we go. Um, won't have many more episodes coming out on Tuesdays. I can promise you that for the rest of the year. This isn't going to become a common thing. In fact, ladies and gentlemen, we've got two very exciting episodes coming up for you. We have got our half-season predictions coming out on Thursday. When I say half-season, we're talking who we think is going to finish in the top two, who we think is going to get relegated, which team could drop down the table in the second half of the season, who could be a player to keep an eye on in the second half of the season. Me and Justin are going to put our necks on the line. (laughs) Uh, So that's coming out on Thursday. And then on Sunday, we've got our half-team of the season so far so who we think has been the best players in the championship in the first half of the season so plenty to get excited about of course is the FA Cup coming up this weekend so not as much so we'll give you a uh, a little 
a year. I don't know where I'm going with this. Uh, this has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Thursday. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.